This is Better Benefits, a podcast from the team at Brella Insurance. We're talking about how to use employee benefits to build a world where health hardships don't create financial burdens. If you're a broker or employer looking for fresh ideas and new products employees will actually use, this show's for you. Hi there, I'm Laura Cave, Head of Marketing here at Brella, and this is Better Benefits, episode number 18. Today, I'm going to be putting our very own Chief Revenue Officer, Mike Cirillo, into the hot seat to talk to us about why he believes employers should take another look at funding supplemental health benefits. I should say Mike actually volunteered for this because he recently published an article about this on our blog and it's received a lot of interest. And so we both thought it was a good idea to drill down a little bit deeper by having a conversation here. So Mike, welcome to the show today. Hey, Laura. How exciting is this? It's nice to be on the other side of of the table this morning. Thanks Thanks for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I I think, yes, I did raise my hand for this one. And and I think it makes sense to spend some time to drill down a little deeper into the article that we recently posted and provide some additional color around, you know, our thoughts on that. And, you know, as you and I've discussed, the inspiration behind that article really was, was based on real life discussions we're having each and every day in Texas, you know, since our launch around Brella, our product, the need for supplemental health insurance, and and what we've quickly uncovered in the last you know few months being in market is that there is a real need to bring a relevant, wide ranging supplemental health solution to the market, and it's great to see you know broker advisors wheels get turning around how to leverage a product like Brella in the overall health plan discussion and strategy. So excited to spend some more time talking about that today. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into it. I, From discussions that we've had, it sounds like there are a lot of different types of supplemental plans. They're sometimes called voluntary benefits. And this connection between supplemental and voluntary is sort of the thing that you've brought into question. So I wondered, just for, for context, for anybody who's not as familiar with this part of the insurance space, can you tell us a little bit about you know, supplemental health plans today? How are they usually funded and why is it being done that way? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, as I noted in the article, you know, and it's sort of become part of my daily discussion points with with brokers and employers is that if you look at the definition of the word supplemental, right, you're not going to find the word voluntary anywhere in that. But to your point, you know, supplemental insurance, supplemental benefits, just in a broad nature, have always sort of been equated to voluntary benefits, because that's just the way it's always been done. And if you think about if we sort of stay in the world of supplemental health insurance, because again, supplemental benefits can be very broad. It can be really anything that is offered as part of a broader benefits portfolio that the employee pays for. And it may not be supplemental health insurance related products, right? So, but if we stick in that sort of zone, because that's the, the world we play in, those products were developed really decades ago when the challenges that we face today when it, when it comes to out-of-pocket medical costs and exposures for employees are nothing like they were today, right? Quarter century ago, the, the deduct, average deductible is three or $400. 
So when these products were created, let's take critical illness as an example. You know, that product was created and really at that time covered three or four conditions, heart attack, stroke, cancer, and, and maybe organ failure, right? Now today, those products, because of competitive pressure by other carriers who've entered into the space, you know, now cover a lot more in, in, in the way of critical type conditions. But right from the start, those those plans were not designed to be all that wide ranging. And the sales process was talking to an employer and basically making the pitch in case to the employer is, is listen, we can make this simple. You don't have to you know fund these programs in any way. We'd like access to your employees. We'd like a payroll deduction so that your employees can cover the costs of premiums in a convenient manner. And we'll take it from there. And that's just the way it was done. Now, over the last you know several years, those products have been, I'll, I'll say, sort of retrofitted in their marketing approach because deductibles have started to climb and increase. And those products have always existed. But now the pitch around how they can be used has changed. But what hasn't changed is that they're virtually always voluntary. And our thesis is there hasn't been a compelling enough reason to convince an employer to support those programs in a financial way that makes sense and provides a return on those employer dollars. So I want to just highlight something that you just said, and it's making me even think, and we talk about this literally every day, but it's making me think about this in a slightly different way. So it, it sounds like, especially with critical illness and you know, those plans have large payouts, they're for very serious health conditions that presumably, hopefully, are extremely unlikely. It's almost like they used to be in a bucket like life insurance, where as a family, you can think about how you might want to support your family if you you know, experience one of these life-altering critical illnesses. And that would have a lot to do with your own financial situation. And that would be a decision that a family could make on their own that an employer wouldn't necessarily need to force on a family. And, and so, so offering it on a voluntary basis made a lot of sense, perhaps, originally. And now we have a different problem, which is the problem of, of burdensome health insurance cost sharing. And so you're saying that critical illness and some of these other supplemental health plans are kind of being jury-rigged into solving a problem they weren't originally intended to, to address. I think that's right. And and I think your comparison to life insurance is a really good one, right? You know, again, there just wasn't a screaming need two decades ago to cover three, four, five thousand dollar out of pocket costs, you know, with with what we see today. So what you were covering was was more of that, you know, I'll say long shot type condition. Now, let's face it, cancer, heart attacks, stroke, those are life changing events for an individual and their family. And, and certainly the payouts on those benefits will make a significant impact for a family that has to work through those challenges. But the reality is those conditions are far less likely to occur than a dehydration episode or a kidney stone or diverticulitis. So, and those are the things that cause real pain today for, for most Americans because of the, the shift to employees when it co- comes to their out-of-pocket exposure. So I think that's a really good way to think about it. it. It wasn't necessarily on the radar for employers back when these products were created to have to find a way to make sure everyone has access to a benefit like that. 
because the need just wasn't there. Right, right. And so you have individuals and families, especially those who are on the younger side of things, who have these types of sort of common health issues like appendicitis or kidney stones or or think just the sort of things that happen all the time in an, in a given year that are hitting this deductible and potentially draining the HSA or other savings or ending up on a credit card. And that's kind of the reality of, of the issue that we're facing now. That's right. You got it. So we've got, I think, our eye on the problem. And I'm wondering why you think now is a good time for employers to start revisiting this question of putting benefit dollars behind supplemental. How should we think about that? Yeah. It, you know, and I think it comes down to a couple of things. You know, I may have mentioned this or we may have mentioned this a time or two on on this call, but but it, it comes where I'll sort of start with that. It's almost what hasn't changed, right? And and that's the fact that the need is is real. You know, and we've talked about, you know, health insurance deductibles, you know, skyrocketing by nearly 800% in premiums, you know, over 300% over the last 25 years. And when you compare that to employee wage growth of just 18%, you know, it really puts into perspective that that gap is is wide and and hasn't been wider ever like it is today. And and then when you sort of take that to the next step and say, okay, right, you know, employee wage growth hasn't kept up with healthcare inflation. What does that mean? Well, well, it means that, you know, you've got half of Americans today who fear bankruptcy due to an unexpected medical event. And if you take a second to just think about that, that's one out of every two of us wakes up every single morning fearing that an unexpected medical issue, which can happen to any one of us, is going to create the most difficult financial challenge you can think of. And that's, and that's bankruptcy, you know, or why on one study, four out of 10 say they can't cover a $400 unexpected medical event. Another one says 60% can't cover a $1,000 unexpected medical event. And you look at the average deductible today of, of $1,600, the math doesn't work, right? So what, what makes it more compelling than ever to think about supporting a program like supplemental health insurance if you're an employer, more important today than ever, are those realities. And then take it a step further. You, you, you and I've talked about this. You know, you're now seeing it in the fact that employees are more stressed than ever because of, you know, the, the worry around finance. Certainly the COVID environment has raised that as an issue. And how does that manifest itself in someone's overall health and well-being, their productivity at work, their distraction levels, you know, and, and now we're seeing employees not get care because they're afraid they can't cover the costs uh, that they're responsible for. So it's all sort of coming to a, a, a tipping point where we need to do something. Certainly as an industry, we have to help take that pressure off of the employees. And the best way to do that is for an employer to signal the importance of a supplemental health insurance plan. And it doesn't have to be 100% employer paid, right? Sometimes it's just that contribution to a program that changes the mindset for employees and sort of the prioritization of benefits that they may have available to them. So in our view, it's it's sort of this world that doesn't necessarily change, but it's impacting us in ways that is more significant today than it's ever been. Right, right. So as we're looking at the health benefits themselves, the health benefit has to cover a much greater financial exposure because of the way that 
healthcare costs have grown over the past 25 years. And that's a difficult challenge for, for the payers, for the employers, for the employees. Everybody is stretched to the max with, with all of these, these, you know, rate increases in premiums. And we've shifted a lot of the cost sharing responsibility to the employees, hoping that they're healthy. And if they have an HSA that they can get by, but this gap is growing in a way that's, that's now turning up in delayed care and stress and debt in ways that are creating symptoms that then are creating additional challenges for the the health benefit project itself. So we're trying to focus on preventive care and we've got employees delaying care because they can't afford it. So not only are we not getting the preventive care we need, we're getting care later. (laughs) And so, so the situation, if we don't address it, it ends up costing us. So I think what you're arguing is that we need to address it because the costs are going to show up somehow. And so I guess as you're talking to employers every day, I'm curious, like, what are some of the different approaches that employers are, are thinking about in terms of how this fits into their overall health benefit strategy? Yeah. You know, before I answer that, just one other quick comment around what has changed that that sort of makes it the right time for employers to revisit this. Again, I'll kind of go back to what hasn't necessarily changed. The products that have been sort of marketed as supplemental in the marketplace haven't really changed over the last several decades, right? They, they were, you know, what's changed is maybe, again, the bells and whistles, a few extra conditions, but generally speaking, you know, very specific, narrowly scoped products in their design across the, those traditional products. So, you know, bringing a product like Brella to the market that is drastically different on how it works and how it simplifies the supplemental health discussion and how it speaks the exact same language as the underlying health insurance makes it a much stronger complement and and now gives broker advisors and employers tool that they can use to consider a shift potentially in in how these programs are viewed and then you know funded funded by employers um so how does that work right and you know, I think there are a few different ways in which employers can, can sort of take this idea and run with it. You know, first, it starts with an easier product. You have to have the right insurance product to even consider asking an employer to spend those really tough dollars um, that are, you know, competing for shelf space and a benefits portfolio towards a supplemental health insurance plan. I think if you're an employer today, those dollars are precious. And where do you get the most return? on those dollars is something that's that's really important. I think that's why traditional products in this space have had a hard time getting employer contributions because they just don't on their own cover very much. So having a product like Brella that covers a wide spectrum of injury and illness makes a much more compelling case for those dollars. And then from there, you know, I think we have to think through where those dollars sit today. Now for some employers, you know, they may find ways to add more dollars to the budget and you know, that's certainly an option, but that's a hard option. And I think going back to the discussion around how those dollars work in a benefits portfolio, it may be more reallocating dollars that are already being spent. And I think when you when you look at a, a supplemental health insurance plan and compare that to the typical ranking and priority setting of benefits today, you know, most everyone would say it starts with the health insurance with no debate you know, then it's the dental and vision plan, and then it's the life and disability plan. And then 
After that, it's all this other voluntary stuff where the today's supplemental health products sit, right? But if you think about it, if you think about the biggest challenge that broker advisors and employers have, if you think about the number one benefit in the portfolio that's top of mind for employees, it's the health insurance. So if you had a really good supplemental health insurance plan that did what it was supposed to, covered a lot, actually was used, you could argue that that would be logically the next most important benefit in the portfolio after the health insurance. So if that's the case, and and you can you know, demonstrate the value of a supplemental health insurance plan, then I think you can change the mindset around where those other dollars are being spent. Now, I grew up in the life and disability space. You're not going to find anyone that believes more in those products than me, but the likelihood of utilization of those benefits is far less, like exponentially less than a good wide-ranging supplemental health insurance plan because you're far more likely to have those conditions like diverticulitis or a kidney stone or dehydration than you are, you know, to experience a a life insurance claim or or have an LTD claim. So those benefits not necessarily utilized all that much, not all that much connected to the health insurance, but you're getting employer dollars there. So is there a way to maybe reallocate and repurpose some of those dollars to a benefit like supplemental health insurance? Right. And so, and what you're saying is that in order for that to happen, you have to have a plan like Brella, which I'm not sure if everybody listening is familiar with what makes Brella so different, but you, you touched on this, that Brella is covering a super wide range of conditions from the moderate conditions like dehydrations and concussions and and simple fractures, all the way up to the catastrophic heart attack, cancer, MS, things like that. And so having a wide-ranging plan that pays benefits that are designed to really target the gap, the cost-sharing gap that employees are feeling so painfully, that becomes a really interesting complement to the health benefit that maybe you're arguing should replace some lesser utilized benefits. Yeah, and, and maybe not so much replace, but but again, maybe just reallocate some of the dollars that you know, are already being spent on those on those plans if you're an employer, right? Again, if you were to ask an employee what their priority is, they're probably going to put, you know, my responsibilities tied to, you know, health insurance and my out-of-pocket costs, they're probably going to put that ahead of some other benefits that might be in the portfolio. So does it make sense to now sort of just maybe do a check, right? Where are my dollars going if I'm the employer? what is most important to my employees and sort of go back to the age old purpose of benefits. And that's to attract and retain employee talent. If that's top of mind for employees, again, you know, our thesis is you could argue that uh, next to the, the major medical health insurance, a really good supplemental health insurance plan would always follow next in line of the priority. Right. Almost the way that if you have a true high deductible plan and you're planning to pair that with an HSA, what's going into the HSA is part of the consideration of signing up for the high deductible plan. And, you know, Brella works with any kind of health insurance, but it just sort of changes the picture. So it's almost like you want to make that decision together of if I'm an employee, I'm thinking about like, okay, which plan should I enroll in? And if I have Brella, what does that allow? What kind of choices does that allow me to make? That's right. You know, and I think HSAs are a good topic. Again, I'm I'm a huge fan. I mean, one of the greatest financial wellness 
inventions ever when you think about tax treatment and how you know the HSA is constructed. The real value of an HSA is letting those dollars sit and accumulate growth for future healthcare needs. Now, the reality is it's being used to cover today's, you know, issues that employees have. And, you know, many, many employers today are, are making contributions to HSAs. I think the average is, is close to $900 now per year. Again, we've had discussions with many broker advisors about reallocating a portion of that employer contribution to the HSA to umbrella plan, a couple things happen. You make your benefits offering even stronger. A dollar of premium towards an insurance product could stretch far, far longer than a dollar in an HSA. So do you get sort of the benefits of both where the umbrella insurance plan, as an example, right, covers a lot of those things that are likely going to happen to us day in and day out while also preserving your HSA funds to allow them to grow into the future. And if you're an employer, again, going back to return on my investment, can I get more out of an insurance product that might pay four, five, six thousand dollars in a year, not just the nine hundred dollars I've contributed to the HSA? In fact, an interesting statistic, I think we talked about this in, in our article, was that roughly three quarters of every dollar that's contributed to an HSA is withdrawn. So wouldn't it be great to leverage an insurance product and preserve some of those contributions, right, for that future growth? Right. And one of the other things that you mentioned in the article that I thought was really fascinating was the role that employer funding can play for a benefit like supplemental health, just in terms of attention and what that employer contribution signals. So if you don't fund it at all and it's tacked on at the end, you argue that that sends a message that it's not valuable. It does, right? We've all sort of been through a typical fall enrollment for, for our own benefits. And, you know, for some, it can be a pretty daunting experience, right? And by the time you get through the staging of typical benefits to products that are voluntary, as an example, they're usually at the end. And, and a lot of employees have even said, this is not just me saying it, I mean, the statistics show employees dread that process. They don't like the enrollment process. It's intimidating and it's fatigue. You know, they're fatigued at the end of that process. So when you change sort of the, the view of that benefit and, and highlight it in a way that says, we're either offering this to you in addition to your major medical health insurance, or we're contributing to it, employees are likely to look at that benefit very differently. It does send a signal of, of this being important. And I think that is is critical, right? I mean, we would argue in many ways that, you know, anybody with a deductible, you know, un unless you've got unlimited savings behind you, should have a supplemental health insurance plan. I mean, it's it's just the world we live in today. So yes, it does absolutely signal a very different level of importance uh, on the benefit. So I guess, you know, we you make a great argument. You make a lot of compelling suggestions here. I'm wondering, like, what are some of the barriers, either real barriers or perceived barriers that are holding employers and brokers back from embracing this kind of change? Well, I think the fact that it is change is the first thing, right? And, you know, employers and brokers today have a lot on their, you know, list of to-dos and priorities so it's just changing the mindset. And I think that that is important. But I think that's part of what we're trying to do here is raise awareness around the current state and where we, uh, where we see the need. You know, I think some of the other barriers have, have simply been, there hasn't been a product or a solution that makes this discussion easier. You know, and, and again, touting what we're doing here at Brella, we change that. 
And, you know, this is real feedback we're getting day in and day out from, from some of the best benefit brokers that we're working with. We are changing that discussion. Now, doesn't mean every single employer who hears about Brella is going to make that change, but it does get the wheels turning to think through again, is my health plan and overall health benefits strategy working to its fullest? Is it maximized to deliver the outcomes that it's set out to, to accomplish? So I think some of it is, you know, having the right solution. And until now, that's that's been a challenge. And then the other thing I would just say is, you know, it it can be a bit overwhelming, I think, for for employers, right? And and we've talked about this in a couple of different episodes around how change can be difficult just, just because there's so much that goes around that, right? And, you know, the benefits world hasn't really evolved all that much. So you got to kind of get through and be willing to take that leap and take that step forward to, you know, consider and think about alternatives in this world that we live in today. So, you know, I think there's a, some barriers there, but certainly I'm optimistic every day that, you know, talented broker advisors and, and employers who are willing to take that leap, you know, can do the, the best thing possible for their benefit strategy and for those employees that they're serving. I know here at Prella, we have spent a lot of time in the product and uh, both the insurance product and the platform and the technical solutions behind it, trying to make things easier for the employer client. And I was wondering if you could speak to, I mean, speaking of perceived challenges, I'm wondering if there are some ways that employers might anticipate that embracing, you know, and installing a new benefit like Brella would be like a pain in their neck when, when actually we've, we've done some things to make that easier, whether that's like from a cost or from an operational standpoint. I'm wondering what, if you can speak to some of the things that we've done to try to make this easier for folks. Yeah. And I think it starts with the product itself. You know, again, not to get too deep into the weeds on on the insurance product here at Brella, but we've built something that speaks the exact same language, as I said earlier, to the medical plan. And, you know, in doing so, we've stripped away the traditional definitions that are built into supplemental health insurance plans that sort of dictate when is a benefit paid? How is it paid? Where did you receive care and where were you required to receive care before you can trigger a benefit? We've simplified all that with a very clean black and white focus around the benefit trigger, which is the exact same language that the health plan uses. And that's the ICD-10 diagnostic code. Now, I won't get in all the details there, but what that allows us to do is look at real-life employer medical claims data and run that through a process where we can clearly, accurately, and with transparency outline or demonstrate how umbrella plan might perform using that that claims experience. So one of the tools that we've built and that we're using with great success today in the market is being able to document the value and the utilization of a supplemental health insurance plan. And and that's great, right? Because if you're going to ask an employer to contribute and spend money on a program, they're going to want to know a couple of things, right? They're going to want to know how does it work and, and will my employees use it? And then secondly, how does it fit into the overall health plan strategy? And I think we check both of those, those boxes. The second thing we've done is we've built a tool for brokers in the proposal phase that allows them to, on the spot, in real time, model employer contributions. And you know, an employer contribution as small as, you know, five or $10 per month per employee 
drastically changes the risk profile of that particular group. So to be able to look at that real time, model those contributions, see what those are doing to the premium rates that employees would pay or that the employer would be responsible for is, is really a powerful tool in the overall broker employer collaboration process. And then lastly, you know, implementing benefits, whether they're new or replacing existing benefits. Again, that's, that's hard work for employers today. Now we're trying to make that easier with paperless installation, fast turnaround times on, on how we've built our product, a simpler product that allows for, you know, e-signatures and instant policy numbers and policy documents. All of the things that could create some administrative burden for employers. We've worked really hard to strip those away so that if an employer is going to take that next step to add a benefit, it's just not another administrative burden. And unfortunately, we, we hear that all too often across the benefits portfolio. So the last thing we want to do is get an employer comfortable with implementing a benefit like this and making it really hard on them from an implementation or an ongoing administration perspective. And then lastly, you know, the, the question was around sort of how are we making it easier for employers, but by making it easy for employees, we make it easy for employers, right? Because if you think about many of the traditional products today, unfortunately, there's some noise in, in those products, whether it be on claims process or the time it takes to get benefits or just lack of understanding and, and confusion and frustration. So as we think about how we've simplified our product and how we arm the employee with you know, a, a mobile app or a web portal to file claims without any paper in you know, using some really incredible technology to move claims through the adjudication process quickly and put cash in their hands in, in hours and not weeks, that experience and that really positive consumer experience translates into a, a happy employer who now feels like their investment into a benefits program is is doing what it should. And uh, that employee satisfaction is really a critical component. Right, right. So, gosh, there's a lot there. I, I just want to highlight what you said about being able to look back and model how your team would have used Brella in the previous year's claims data. That's so powerful because you're just taking the gamble out of it. And saying, okay, in a typical year, here's how many people would have used this, and here's what their benefit payouts would have been. And so you can really see the picture. And then also, I mean, I I know we face this a little bit on the employee side about a perceived idea that this isn't going to be affordable because health insurance isn't affordable (laughs) for anyone. So, you know, being able to model out those premiums and looking at, what a huge impact, 5 or $10 per employee per month, which is nothing in the scope of health insurance, what kind of a difference that can make it is huge. And so whether it's fully employer-funded or even just partially employer-funded, you're saying Brella is something that people will be able to afford for the most part. Absolutely. You know, I think the range and how we built the product gives flexibility to really look at an entire spectrum of, of how, again, even the smallest employer contribution can bring employee premiums down. And then certainly, you know, full employer contribution, you know, just changes the dynamic of, of this being a afterthought to being a core component to a health benefit strategy that employees will, will appreciate. You know, and the other thing, just on that claims analysis, you know, I just, I think it's really fascinating. You know, we looked at a group with, with 200 or so employees recently and, you know, I was shocked to some way, in some ways, 15 months or so of claims data, 
I, I was shocked to see that in that 15 month period, 12 members would have had a kidney stone claim. And just to be able to get to that level of detail and to be able to talk about a condition like kidney stones, which you know certainly happens to everybody, but that 12 members out of this particular group would have qualified for a Brella benefit to cover the cost due to that due to that kidney stone. It just gets you into a place where you're having a much different discussion around how a program like this can help and work without talking about hypotheticals. Right, right. And then you're looking at a benefit, particularly if it's partially or fully employer funded, that it doesn't have you know, 10% participation or 20% participation, you're having, you know, it's real possibility that a majority or a hundred percent of your employees can participate in this in a way that's sustainable and affordable for the company as well as, as for the employees. And so then you're actually giving all of them the opportunity to use Brella. And, and even if, if Brella isn't used, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about what it means to know that you can go get care. And if you're in the ER or hospital, that Brella is by and large, most likely going to be able to cover the majority of issues that would have required urgent medical attention. Right. And so having that kind of peace of mind for $10 a month, you know, is, is really, is really valuable. So, and especially in when we think about encouraging folks to go get the care that they really need before it's it's delayed and and their situation has progressed. So, that that's really really great. Is there anything else that that you feel like you want employers and, and brokers who who may be listening to to know? Yeah, you know, we we talked about this a little bit in the article, and you know, employers are in a tough spot. Right. I mean, I, I don't think any employer wakes up, you know, excited about having to shift some more responsibility to the employee. It's a necessity today. And I think from my perspective, you know, doing that, I get it. It makes sense. Right. But then asking an employee to cover the costs needed to sort of bridge that gap. You know, we talk about it being a bit of pouring salt on the wound. Now, again, that sounds a little harsh, not meant to be critical of employers because we understand they're having to make tough decisions day in and day out. So I keep going back to this, you know, if you're an employer or a broker listening, have the discussion. I'm sure there are dollars in the overall portfolio being spent today on benefits that probably aren't as valuable as a supplemental health insurance plan. So just reallocate some of those. And uh, you can sort of take that sting away, right? And and kind of go back to what you just talked about, giving a really good benefit, allowing it to touch all of your employees that in theory are are worried about this more than pretty much anything. That's great. That's really great. Well, we're we're coming to the end of our time together here. And as you well know, we have a tradition on this show, which is to ask the guest to tell us about a professional or personal growth book or resource that that had a profound impact on them that they want to recommend. So everybody's doing it. I, I'm curious what yours is. Yes. Okay, for sure. And this was fun because I went to the bookshelf this morning and I'm glad I did this. So the book is Developing the Leader Within You by John C. Maxwell. And he's a great author. And I've read a number of his books. 
this one though, it was really great because I went to the bookshelf. I, I pulled it out. I opened it. I haven't opened it in a while. And what I've got paper clipped right to the first page is a note card from uh, a leader back in the day that gave this book to me. In fact, it's dated February 25th of 2006. And that is sort of immediately following my first sort of transition into leadership, my very first leadership role. And I remember at that point being a sponge and reading anything I could, listening to anybody I admired in leadership. And I remember reading this book in a weekend. So why was it so impactful for me? Because I think what Maxwell talks about in this book are sort of levels of leadership that as a new leader, you'll progress through. And I won't cover all those levels, but I'll just give you a very quick comparison of of level one to level five and, and how it impacted me. One is this sort of level of position, right? Where people follow you because they have to. And level five leadership in the book is called personhood, where people follow you because of who you are and what you represent. And I remember like yesterday reading that and, and, and saying, okay, if I want to sort of begin with the end in mind, when it's all over for, for me in my professional career, how do I want to be remembered? And, and to me, it was very clearly, I want people to remember me for who I was and, and what I stood for and represented. And that has been a hallmark focus for me as it uh, pertains to leadership right from the beginning. And I find that doing that and working through that lens forces you to continue to stay true to yourself, continue to be genuine, and continue to care about the people and the work that you do. And all of the other stuff will tend to take care of itself. Again, very impactful for me. If the person who gave this book to me, I'm hoping you remember is listening, I'll just say thank you because it was a really great setup for me as I began that that leadership journey in my career. Wow, thank you for that. I'm now I have to read it this weekend. Oh, <laughs> 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 um, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate you taking the time to unpack all of these ideas and dig a little bit deeper and share some of the things that you're learning uh, you know, on the road as you're speaking to folks. And hopefully this has been helpful in illuminating some of the, some of the ins and outs of these considerations, which certainly are, are really important for employers and their broker advisors as they're thinking about how to make health benefits work better for, for 2022, right? Absolutely. This was fun. And I can just say this now being on the other seat, I listened to you as a host, but now actually experiencing you as a host, you're wonderful. This was great. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) All right. Well, I will be sure to put the link to the article that we've been referencing as well as the link to the book that Mike recommended in the show notes for the podcast. You can find those on the blog on our website, joinbrella.com. And if you want to get in touch with Mike or you want to learn more about Brella, as I mentioned, you can visit our website at joinbrella.com or email us at sales at joinbrella.com. Thanks so much. Visit joinbrella.com slash podcast for notes from today's show. And if you liked the episode, share it with a colleague. This helps us spread the word. Be sure to subscribe or follow in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss our next episode. And that's a wrap. This is Laura Cave and Mike Zarillo from the Better Benefits Podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great week.